Hour number two of Canuck Central, Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. We come to you from the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Uh, a lot of reaction to our first hour, talking much about Bo Horvat. Uh, Jazzy, unless it's a top-tier prospect, Canucks should just aim for picks in a Horvat trade. Teams rarely give up on prospects they are high on. Uh, and, and it's a good point, and that's why it's been so hard. Ryan on the road texted in and said, Sat, you're saying all the same things you said about JT Miller, about Bo Horvat. What yep. the Canucks are looking for, how it's not a foregone conclusion he's getting traded, and, and everything along those lines. Now, I did say it was 50-50. Mm-hmm. On Bohor on JT Miller staying, but at the time people people shouted at me. They're like 50 50 How people can got you... so mad? They got mad for me <laughs> saying it's a coin flip that JT Miller stays last year. Yeah, because it seemed like a hot take because everybody had him traded. Yeah, everyone pretty much had him traded. Right. Mm-hmm. I have Bo at sixty forty getting traded, so it's more than the JT thing. But if you ask around, people their senses, Bo is for sure getting traded yeah. again. And I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm not. Like, that's not the point I'm trying to say. It's just I can only go by what I hear and how I feel about things, and that's all I'm saying, right? In my sense is there's still a sizable chance that Bo comes back. It is getting harder and harder. You hear Frank talk about where Bo sees himself potentially and where the money could be. And if they understand there's a team out there willing to go nine yeah. times seven potentially, which I, I think is I think it's wild if they were willing to do that. Well, but when you're the are, Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean. Yeah. Well, maybe it is, right? Like, it could I mean, be I, I'm trying to do the math in my head, and it's just like elimination game. Who's got a little bit of cap space? Who desperately needs centers? Who has a hard time really getting guys to go to their city? And who just signed Johnny Gaudreau last year who had an unrestricted free agent deal and is now a top five team in, in the lottery stands? They have Line, they have Goudreau. <laughs> they really feel like they want a centerman, right? Yep. And, you know, so – for sure. I mean, that could be the team that we're hearing about, potentially. So if that's kind of out there, then you can understand why it's so much harder to yeah. keep Bo Horvat here compared to what was going on. And one of the things I mentioned before, even last year, was, hey, the JT market hasn't really been as hot as people make it out to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there's all this talk. Canucks, are they going to get Braden Schneider? What do what we say? Like, essentially, right away, that's not happening. Yep. Like, you're not getting that piece. And the piece If they were the getting the piece, want, the, the deal would have been done. Yeah. That wasn't happening, and one of the things we wondered was, are you more likely to get that piece for Bo than J.T. Miller? And we get this text saying, you guys keep saying Bo's value at the deadline would be more if he was signed as opposed to a rental, yet Miller's trade value is lower because he is signed. Makes no sense. Both of these things cannot be true at the same time. So which is a keep it consistent? Miller is in a down year this year. is still providing $7 million worth of value. Uh, so it's not like he's, it's an anchor contract. I do agree with Miller's contract is not an anchor, and I do believe he's giving way more value than people are saying he does this season with his play on the $5.25 million contract, not yeah. the $8 million per year contract, which kicks in next season. But, and it's a good question. Like, I get it. Like, you look at it and you, you take away all the context. You say, why does one player who's good, pretty similar to Bo, have less value because he's signed? And your guys are saying you get more for Bo if a team can re-sign Bo. Here's where, where, where the difference comes in. A team that wants Bo controls the process if they want Bo. Yeah. They control what they're willing to trade for Bo and how they view a player like Bo, right? And if a team is that willing to trade for Bo Horvat, they probably want to sign Bo Horvat. Yeah. 
Last year, no team was willing to go that far for JT Miller. Mm -hmm. So teams would be willing to sign JT, but they weren't willing to trade for JT and sign JT. Yeah. So now that JT is signed and he has a big contract on hand, teams are not as willing to give you the assets because they have the money on the books, right? We don't we don't want to do two things. We don't want to add this much money on the books long term and give you premium assets for it. Yeah. With JT, it has been hyperbole. I think that you know he has negative value now on the trade market. Like you'd have to give an asset to to take JT off the books. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I, I don't think that's the case either. I think that's been a little bit of hyperbole in what we've heard in the last couple of weeks. With everything surrounding yes. JT. I think this offseason, you could move JT Miller. Yeah. Like, even in the season, it's harder with big money. It's just harder to do when there's that much money still coming in within in the season. But the offseason, I think for sure you can make a trade for, for JT if you wanted one. Again, it's it's sort of, uh, again, I think about Columbus. Um, but, you know, if they're looking for a player to add and they don't have a good sense that they'll be able to land anybody in free agency come draft time maybe they do make a call on a player like JT Miller who's got significant term who you think they might like to add to their roster teams like Columbus and Winnipeg they have they they tend to think they have to add players with term via trade mm -hmm. because they know they're generally at a disadvantage when it comes to free agent time well and, and if and the point that we've been trying to make going back to that text message is a team that really wants a player that badly and willing to give up that prospect wants the player long term. Yes. No team was willing to give that prospect for JT Miller. So why would they want to give the prospect to get JT Miller under contract now? Yeah. Right? So for Bo, again, a team that's willing to give the asset you want for Bo would want to probably sign him to keep him. But no team might be willing to give you that for Bo either. So it may come down to the traditional trade deadline package, first round pick, maybe a second round pick, maybe a decent prospect. But you're not letting him talk to the other team because there's not going to necessarily be an extension tied to it. That's what we mean when we say you can get more if a team is willing to give you what they want as long as they can extend the player. Because no team's going to give you their best, one of their best young players for just two months of a player. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. And generally, you, you get, like, to get to that point, it gets really far down the line where you've sort of agreed on what the trade package is going to be. And the opposing team has a good ballpark idea of what it's going to take to sign the player in that conversation as well. Uh, a question here. Why wouldn't Columbus do a sign and trade for Bo if it's so unlikely he gets to free agency? Well, Columbus isn't looking to acquire Bo ahead of the trade deadline, basically. Yeah. No, I mean, and uh, yeah, I mean, if he's a free agent, I can see it. But at the deadline? No, it doesn't make sense for them to, to do to add a player like Bo at the deadline. No, right and, and again, if, if let, let's say there's an in hypothetical here, right? You mentioned Columbus. Hypothetical. Let, let's say they're a team willing to make that type of offer. Nobody else is. Well, they have that in their back pocket mm -hmm. that if Bo gets a free agency, they can make, make the best offer for him financially to sign. Yeah. But I just don't see the draw for them to give... I mean, yeah, could I see if they're, if they're paying... You know, a future first or something or something, but that, but again, like, why would Vancouver take less? Yeah, take the traditional trade package from Columbus for a future pick to make it work because they're not they're not trading their pick this year. They're not trading one of their top prospects this year. You know, so I just don't I don't know if I see the fit with with Columbus trade wise. Uh, Columbus uh, all in on Bedard. That's why they wouldn't uh, trade for Bo Horvat in season. Um, all right. So we mentioned Miller, and. He had a three-point night last night. It's in the loss. Of course, he's been sort of peak frustration. 
mainly because a lot of Canucks fans would have preferred the team sign Bo Mm -hmm. instead of JT Miller, uh, given how the season has played out. But if you're realistic about the situation, Miller, ever since becoming a Canuck, had provided more value to this team than Bo Horvat. Both very good players, but Miller was the better player. For sure. And, and I think if you look at it right now, too, it's like the stock market. The Miller stock is down. Yes. And that's going to impact the trade value around the league, right? I mean, it comes down to leverage as well. I mean, Miller's it, the Tesla stock right now. <laughs> well, I mean, the Tesla stock's still pretty high, relatively yeah, I, speaking. I mean, he's still a good player, but, but it's it, you know his stock is down from where it was last year. Well, and it's certainly down, right? And I do think with how the season has gone in Vancouver and, and how poorly everybody has performed, is there a negative view on Vancouver players and JT Miller potentially, which mm-hmm. does depress the value or the market for him right now? Absolutely. Like, I think those factors come into play here right now. Like, I don't think there's this is a good time for you to look to trade JT Miller necessarily. The offseason, depending on what happens and if you can make a deal before the no trade cl- clause kicks in around the draft, for instance, that's a different kind of equation potentially for it. But in season, when you have that much money owed, it's difficult. And if a team is willing to give Bo an extension, well, they do it on their terms. And I'm just not sure the JT contract for teams that might be interested is something they look at and say, ah, is that is that something we're comfortable with right now? Yeah. A lot of times it comes down to like, I made the decision to give this contract out, not somebody else. Somebody else. And maybe he was willing to do it last year, but the way he's played and how the reputation yeah. is kind of like, eh, maybe I'm not feeling as good about that right now. Again, like the, the Miller stock is down significantly at the moment, mm-hmm. whether it's fair or not. Like, it's significantly down. That's why it's, this is not the time, so to speak, to move him, unless you're looking for a pure dump somewhere, and if you can just dump the money. And I don't think the organization has gone come to that conclusion, you know, halfway through the season after signing him to that seven-year contract. So I've generally been um, higher on Miller's play lately than, you know, what the uh, rhetoric or narrative has been around him. Certainly there's been some really ugly moments But, you know, in the three-point game last night, there was some really good moments. The goal, how he's played with Elias Pettersson the last couple of games, all of these things uh, are sort of uh, positives for me with JT in this moment. You know, he did have the first goal of the game. You know, he's kind of puck-watching, doesn't look over his shoulder to check where Kyle Connor is, which seems kind of important in the moment. I'd, I'd almost prefer him to try and stick check Kyle Connor than actually try to play the pass out in front right. and block it from getting into the center of the ice. Like play the man instead of the puck and then you won't have to worry so much about Kyle Connor. But um that's neither here nor there. I just wonder if we've gotten to a point where it's going to be like how does Miller win back the fan base to a point where like last year it was clear to everybody he was the driver of this team. He had them on his back for a certain amount of time and carried them back into the playoff race. Certainly Pedersen and and other players started to pick up their game and join the race. But Miller was the guy that pretty much as soon as Boudreaux took over, Miller started to go and everybody caught along with him. What, What does Miller have to do? Can he get back to a point where he wins people over? I think the number one thing that has to happen is I don't think even if Miller plays to the level he played last season, I think there's going to be a lot of sentiment that, hey, they missed the window on trading him, that he's not a player who's going to age well and that it doesn't fit the window of the team. And I think for that segment of 
the fan base to change their minds on him, only one thing can happen. The team turns it around. And yeah. Miller is here. Like, that's the only thing that can happen, right? The team is successful in a year or two, and Miller's a big part of it. That's the only way you can win everybody over. As far as actually tangibly looking at it and saying, what are the things we need to see from JT Miller to feel like the contract's going to age well and to feel like, okay, here's a guy who's going to be part of the solution potentially? The five-on-five play has to still significantly improve. And we talked about at even strength, like nobody scored more for the Canucks since being acquired by Vancouver than JT Miller. Yeah. This year, that's down significantly. And we've seen some signs here and there where it comes back and some good moments here and there. But we've seen where most of his success has come from. What hasn't happened is him really driving the line when he's not playing with some of the best players in the team. Like last year, he did a lot of this stuff playing with Miller and with uh, Pearson and Besser. Yep. And, you know, Besser had a decent season at times, but he still struggled, generally speaking. Ended up with... 23 goals last year like yeah. he, he picked it up right at the end of the season yeah and Pearson you know played well for his standards but not a high level producer five on five was pretty solid playing alongside JT but it was very clear like he was the force on that line yep and he didn't need to have necessarily you know JT Bo uh, Elias Patterson next to him to be good he didn't necessarily yeah. have to be next to Bo Horvat who's scoring a ton of goals for him to pick up some points like he was the guy who was real catalyst on that line that's kind of what I want to see more of again you know, and like, listen, we're not in the room. None yep. of us really know exactly, you know, what's going on. But I do want to see better leadership in general. Like, I, I sit here and say this this team's leadership's not good enough. And that's why I'm completely open to a Bo Horvat trade. And I don't think the captain of a team that doesn't have good enough leadership should be, you know, beyond a repro- approach here. But I do think the same holds true for JT here. We talked about him being a leader. We talked about him, the importance that he's shown to this organization. Start showing that again. Yeah. And for all the stuff that he says to the media, you got to live it more. And he's great. Like, he, he's terrific in, in being truthful and honest to the media. Yep. But how much of that resonates on the ice consistently? It doesn't. You know? Not often enough. And those are the things that, that, that tangibly that I want to see improve as the season goes on. And if they do, then at least you feel a bit better about, okay, his place on the team here. Can he be a leader for the team here? You know, Can he be a driver on the team? Like, Forget about their window and how that all f- falls into place. You know, We're a ways away from figuring out how that's going to work. But now that he's here, those are the things I really want to see from JT the rest of the season. Well, like even yesterday after the game, he speaks and it's um... – I, I don't know. We could have heard the same exact uh, speech after seven, eight, nine, ten different games this year. The one thing that stood out was, uh, I don't know, we got to defend better. We gave up seven goals, didn't even give up an empty netter. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, thanks. Like, we know. Um, but this has been the same thing over and over and, and over again. And it's not that he's the one to single out, you know, OEL and Myers were both on for three goals against yesterday. They're a big factor in this team's what second worst defending record in the national hockey league. Now. I mean, it's, it's ugly. And Miller's a big part of that, the turnovers, everything else. But I I still feel that there is, like, there's still a good player there in JT Miller. He's a talented player, there's no doubt. I mean, his playmaking on the power play is exemplary. Yeah, and I feel, though, that has been almost forgotten in this market yeah. right now. And, that, like, I, I get it. You want the horse to be Bo Horvat rather than JT Miller that sticks around here for a long time. And this leadership thing that you mentioned, Sat, 
it has to be on Miller. He wears an A. OEL wears an A. These guys that 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 wear a letter on their shirt, you know, they they have to be a part of that leadership group that does better, that gets these guys to buy into better habits. Can't just be the coach that gets the buy-in. Though I don't think Bruce Boudreaux has done enough to get these guys to buy in to a more structured sort of game, but like there's got to be a point. If Pedersen and Hughes are the guys, when do they start to take over more of that leadership role? And Pedersen seems to be doing it on the ice, but I wonder, you know, does there come a point over the next little while where that really starts to translate where it's it's obvious Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes are the top guys, are the top dogs on this team, both on and off the ice. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's it's Pedersen's like that, team. That needs to be the next evolution for this team. It absolutely is. But also, like, in terms of what you're looking monetary-wise, $8 million for JT Miller to score at a higher rate than he's scoring this season is not out of, like, I know uh, Jay on, tw- uh, on Twitter says, no one talks about 5-on-5, five five, JT produces the same rate as Garland. We talk about that all the time. The last year, JT and Garland both led the team 5-on-5 five yes. five scoring, but he said he was third in the league in secondary assists. That's a point that Jay makes. And, and that's true. Like, he had a lot of secondary assists last year. He did. But still, 5-on-5, five five, you take a lot of that stuff out. He still had a lot of primary goals and primary assists. Like, he did, right? Like he's generally been good. This year, that's cratered. His se- his secondary assists have cratered yeah. significantly this year. The, uh, the, the goal scoring rate and the primary assist rate is not too dissimilar than last year, actually. It's the secondary numbers that have really gone down. One area you're seeing that is where Elias Pettersson is scoring far less on the power play, if you look at the overall secondary numbers, and what often happens on a, on a Pettersson goal. Miller, Hughes, Hughes, Patterson. Who gets a secondary assist? JT Miller. Miller. Who's not scoring on the power play this year? Patterson. Patterson. Last year he had uh, he had twelve secondary assists, and Bo um, Bick brought these numbers out. Twelve secondary assists on Elias Patterson goals this year. Obviously, that's not happening, and we'll see if that happens as the season goes on here. So I think that explains some of the secondary assist numbers. But to me, more than anything, and the numbers are for sure something that's true. But are you driving play? Yeah, you know, like that's a net positive play that I want to see more than anything else. And we saw more of that last year. We're not quite seeing that to that same degree this year. And let's be honest: if we're talking about franchise t- level talent, we're talking about players making ten, eleven, twelve million. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's what we're talking about. Like Patterson's going to be a player of that caliber, of that ilk that you're going to be paying him. JT is still next year for him to make eight million and that to work. He doesn't have to be a hundred point guy. He doesn't. Like, if he's a 100-point guy, he's vastly outperforming his contract at $8 million per season. Yeah. Because 100-point guys make 9 10 11 million, million per season, right? So what does JT have to do to be worth $8 million? He's got to score at a point-per-game rate and be a driver 5-on-5 five five and not be a net negative when he's out there. You know, like, if you're a point-per-game player yeah. and, you can, and you're not a net negative 5-on-5, five five, you'll be worth $8 million. Like, yeah, and and I'd love to see JT play his best without Elias Patterson or Bo Horvat, like we saw last year. Last year, I mean, you know, his best play was his first season overall yep. impact play, and he played with Patterson. With Patterson, but now that you're paying him eight million bucks, like he should be able to drive his own line when you need him to. And I mean, early returns, Patterson and Miller look fantastic together. You know, they went up against McKinnon and Rantanen the other night against Colorado and played it to about 50-50. Had some really good chances. Even yesterday against Winnipeg, they play against the Kyle Connor line. And yeah, that Connor line had a lot of success. Yeah. But, you know, at least 
in terms of being able to drive play against them. You know, they were about 50-50. Yeah. So they can go up against the other top lines in the league and at least hold their water, mm-hmm. right? So, which the Canucks haven't really had at any point this year for any of their lines. So when you have Miller and Pedersen together doing that, it's great, but assuming Bo leaves, now what do you have beyond that? And sure, it may not matter for this year, but this team wants to be competitive going forward, even mm-hmm. into next year. So that's where the glaring hole really comes in and why you know, if you are – like now that you are committed to paying Miller and that he is committed here long term, I do feel he's got to be able to drive his own line much like he did last year. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and I think Jay and others make a good point. It's about – well, people make the point about JT. It's like it's not about the player. It's about the bet you're making on the player given – the place you're at in your window or your process as a team, yes. right? And a lot of people just don't think that aligns. And for that to work, the team has to be successful with JT here. Like, like you're not going to convince people mm-hmm. that JT is going to make sense unless they're winning and JT is a part of that. Well, yeah, Jim Rutherford in that Pittsburgh Tribune uh, article that that was released today. You know, we we've we've got some cap troubles that have yeah. been uh, harder than we thought to to get rid of well you you added eight million dollars to your books you know uh that you didn't necessarily have to so some of that is your own doing and miller to win the fan base back it has to start with his play and then wins have got to follow that absolutely and the team has to be a contender and like and if that happens then i think because if you actually look at the because otherwise the point is valid that people are making. It's like, okay, sure, he's worth the money for a few years. Sure, he's fine in $8 million per season. But where are we going? What does it matter? What does it matter? You know, like you could have assets for him. Maybe you could have done something different. And that's what it comes down to, right? So unless, again, like unless Vancouver is able to become a better team here with JT part of the fold, this doesn't matter. And th- and that's why, you know, we take, we've gone to great pains this year to talk about JT's play and struggles and everything, but talk about, okay, if he's if he gets back to the level that he can be at, the money's okay. But how do you find a way to make that work and win with him being here? And what you just mentioned, it seems like it's been a lot harder than they imagined mm. to get rid of the pieces around some of these players that they wanted to keep. And and how much is that going to impact the Bo situation? We spoke to Frank Saravalli about that. Yep, it has to impact the Bo situation. You know and. This is why I'm really curious about if they make another offer. And I do think, like I mentioned, like they'll put another something else in front of Bo. But is it going to be something just that's performative to some degree? Yeah. Or is it actually going to be a real offer? Because if you're that worried about clearing cap space. It's hard to see them going 55 plus million. Yeah. And like if, if, the, if Bo's contract is around seven per season. I, I do think it can work. Like seven times eight, I don't like this. Listen, I wouldn't do this. I'd rather make the trade, right? But, Essentially the same as the JT contract but, with the numbers flipped. Yeah, right? I don't know if Bo takes that. That's the question. Yeah. You know, I can see Vancouver saying push comes to shove. That's as high as we go, you know? Well, and as we talked about, the offer was probably in the 49 to 52 range. Yeah. The last one that they yeah. made, which was obviously rejected. Uh, all right, um, we'll keep on the Canucks. Don Taylor is going to join us. Uh, his take on where this is all headed with Bo Horvat and the Vancouver Canucks. That's next on Canucks Central.
Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provided, provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company, helping local business since 1892. Uh I thought this was interesting today, Sat. Some reporting out of uh, Arizona. Kyler Murray will have input on uh, his next coach in in uh, with the Arizona Cardinals. Like, do you think uh, teams should like you know cater to their superstar like that? Like, hey, you got to help us pick the next coach. I mean, he was his college coach for crying out loud. Did he not have the best head coach possibly for Kyler Murray? Anyways? Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, Kingsbury was a bit of a fugazi. Yeah, it was a bit of a fugazi. Slight slight one. Maybe the problem is Kyler Murray, though. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Like, should Pedersen and Hughes uh, be able to uh, pick or have input on the next head coach of the Vancouver Canucks? No, but I do think it's different in hockey versus in football. Like, you're, And if your head coach has to be in lockstep with your franchise quarterback. Right. Like, that... that in the NFL, you can't win if you have a franchise quarterback that isn't completely in, aligned with your head coach. All right. You Russell have no Wilson. choice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right? Like, So I, I, you shouldn't allow him to make the decision, but I do think you should have him a part of the process. Yeah. To some degree. Okay. At least know, like, hey, what are the things that you need Yeah. here, right? And then don't go, don't go hire a guy that doesn't see that at all. That's fair. Um, it's, uh, it, it is... Uh, the one sport where I think the coach has more of an impact than any other, that being the NFL. Not to say that hockey coaches don't have as big of an impact, but it's just like, I mean, you see what guys like Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick are able to do with subpar rosters. Pete Carroll. I know people <laughs> don't like Pete Carroll, but like. I mean, what else do you want from Pete and the Seahawks right. this season? Just shoved it in Russell Wilson's face this year. It's amazing. It's like, yeah, oh, we're going to trade you, Russ, after you've been pouting for so long that we don't throw the ball enough. <laughs> Finally, you get traded. And we'll bring in Geno Smith, and he'll set the franchise record for passing yards in a season. <laughs> <laughs> now we're golden. But I loved it. I loved uh, what Pete did this season. Like, yeah. it, Not only were they good defensively, but – the team completely bought into their plan again, you know, and yep. not having a quarterback who has one step out the door, it makes such a big, mm-hmm. big difference, you know, and just Pete's always been a super positive guy, right? And I love his style of coaching. I don't always agree with how he makes a decision. Oh, the play calling can sometimes be like, what are we doing here? But you look at a guy who all like consistently gets the best performance possible out of his football teams generally. Like he's only had what one f- under 500 season with Russell Wilson. It was last year. Before yeah. that, his first year, of course, and they still ended up winning the division because the team was the division was really poor. But they're always competitive with Pete Carroll here. Yeah, always competitive. Never like. I can't think of a team. Well, I mean, there's there's a couple in the NFL, but it's it's all about building a program. Yeah, I mean, and right? like, like Pittsburgh with yeah. Mike Tomlin and bad roster, still 500. Yep, bad roster, still 500. Has not had a losing season in the NFL, despite all of 
their roster issues through the years. And I think what, you know, you know, flipping this to hockey to some degree, like what you need to find is a program builder in hockey. And hockey is different than football and different than other sports. And it's hard to find a guy that stay there for like seven, eight, nine, ten years. Like, yeah. It just happens so infrequently in hockey. David Poyle. Yeah. I mean, and he's a GM. Yeah. As a coach, I mean, Barry Trotz had the longest run, you know. We're seeing Mike Sullivan have a pretty long run now with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Maybe that's the guy you you point to, and you look at the number of injuries they've had, everything that's happened with that team, and he still has them playing the same way, essentially. Yeah. Well, before uh, Travis Green uh, was let go in Vancouver, he was one of the longest tenured head coaches, was he not? He was, like, top five-ish. Yeah. Ish. And, and, you know, the thing— that matters the most is how you connect with your guys. Yeah. Like knowing your systems matter so much too, right? Like the structure and everything, but it's like, can you consistently get the most out of your players? And that's, that's the thing about Pete. Like Jeffro says, Pete's a damn good coach. Yeah, he is on the text inbox, but it's also just his personality and his ability to consistently get people to be, to be motivated and, and to come out and perform to that level. And you look at Vancouver, what's been the big problem here? Mm, not enough buy-in. Yeah, and, and players not performing to the level they should perform. Players seldom perform to the, to the to the lesser of their abilities under Pete. And that's what Vancouver has to find. Like a coach who has a type of attitude and personality, whether it's always being positive, negative, whatever, just get the most out of your guys. Uh, Bruce was able to do it for half a season. 57 but, games. Uh, yeah, a little bit more than half a season. Uh, hasn't been able to do it this year. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. It is... Don Taylor, he joins us every Monday here on uh, Canucks Central. Donnie and Dolly, 10 to noon on Czech TV, Monday through Friday. What's happening, Donnie? Uh, a whole lot with the Canucks out, obviously. Happy New Year, guys. Hope everything's okay. Yeah, our first, uh, our first uh, check-in uh, of, yeah. the, of 2023. And, uh, you know, it comes on the back of another uh, ugly Canucks loss where they give up seven goals, none on the power play, no empty netters. I mean, it's just the the story of the team this season, Donnie. They they haven't figured out how to defend, even though everybody knows that's the only way this team would ever be able to find consistency this season. Yeah, so it, the mistakes you might see in a beer league game or, or a minor hockey game, maybe not the highest levels of minor hockey, uh, but just coverage mistakes in, in front of the net, not finding guys. And You know, it's um, one, one thing that coaches talk about that you, you learn is, if you're not sure what to do, grab a guy, find a guy, not literally grab him, but find somebody and focus on him and make sure he doesn't get the puck. And that wasn't happening uh, last night. It was frustrating too, because let's, let's be honest. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to stay away from criticizing the rest of the team, mm-hmm. but uh, the goaltending wasn't great. And uh, you know, obviously there was a, a goaltending switch and, and extra frustrating because some of the Canuck numbers weren't bad, and I'm not talking about the deep numbers. I'm talking about, you know, I think they had four giveaways. At least that was that was the number that was recorded in the arena. It was probably more. So so there's that. Lots of blocks, lots of hits. They outblocked, they outhit uh, the Jets. They outshot them, outchanced them. But the end result is just giving up too many goals at, at 7-4, and away you, away you go to Pittsburgh. It was a real, real, real disappointing from so many points of view. I think for a lot of people, especially since it came on the heels of a really good effort against Colorado. Yeah, and you know that's that's the that's the thing that always gets me. And you're right. I mean, goaltending last night it wasn't up to snuff, but it comes back to 
how the Canucks went into that hockey game. And I get sometimes the other team has a run of play, and that's fine. That's going to happen. But the first 10 minutes of that game, Donnie, it's like, what, three or four odd man rushes? And yeah. it probably should have been more than 2 nothing initially, right? And yeah. so that's where it's like, yeah, totally. I'm with you, goaltending last night. And I think it's, it's, it is being proven as time goes on that Spencer Martin may be more of a backup. Same thing with Colin Delia being a depth option. That's kind of what they're probably best suited for. But you know, the team almost cost itself in the first 10 minutes again last night. And that coming off the heels of their quote-unquote come-to-Jesus moment after the game against Colorado where they talked about laying it all out there with their pregame of their meetings ahead of time and being honest with mm. each other, that's the disappointing part. It's like you weren't able to carry that over into the next game to start. Here's something that I often think about. Um, it, it's a little bit out of the box, but when your team is starting poorly, it, it would it not be a good idea at the start of a game to call a timeout, use your timeout at that point where, you know, we, maybe you've fallen behind one, nothing, even if it's zero, zero, whatever the case may be, if you could just feel that the game is slipping away from you at an early point, why save your timeout for later when it's seven, four, or when it's, you know, five, nothing, whatever the case may be. If you can feel that the team is not playing uh, well, and I'm not telling Bruce Boudreaux how to coach for a second. It's just something that I've thought of for, for a long time. And I, I can't remember if I've seen coaches do this, but call your timeout early. They didn't start out well yesterday, and that's been the case for a lot of, a lot of uh, games this season. Ca- call a timeout. Hey, this isn't good enough, guys. You know, if we don't get it together now, uh, it's, it's going to be 4 or 5 nothing in the first period before we know it. it. It wasn't, but it was trending that way. And I know they came back twice to tie it from two goal deficits, but just a thought. You know, there's been a lot of these bad starts. So, um, you know, just a thought. Things starting out poorly, call a timeout, try to, try mm-hmm. to regroup or, or prepare your team better, whatever the case may be. But maybe it's time for some out-of-the-box thinking. Well, and what does that say, though, also about where Bruce is at? Because, I mean, we, we saw a lot of good things from Bruce last year. And, hey, yes. and may, maybe it's he feels like he, you know, uh, he's not doesn't have the backing of the team. But it's either he's not finding answers or he's kind of checked out is kind of what it looks like, isn't it? Well, um, how many times did you see him smile? I know they were winning more, but after post games last year, he was a comedian. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. like, honestly, you know, like he was just, you know, fabulous to, to listen to. And now even after wins, he kind of seems down. He knows he's gone. How do you, how, I just don't, I, I'm not, bl- I don't blame Bruce one bit. I'm sure he's not the perfect head coach. Who is? They've fired a lot in the past. I know that. But how do you perform under those circumstances? I'm sure he's done things wrong. What about instead of publicly criticizing him, tell, I, and I don't know if this has happened or not, Sat, you might know, but have, have you talked to them, uh, talked to them about what you'd like to see, exactly what systems, you know, you'd like to implement as, as that conversation taken place, or are you just pu- publicly criticizing the guy? It's a, it's a tough situation. And, you know, you can just feel that the, you're early on. You can feel the season was lost just listening to uh, the way he uh, was interviewed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a, it's been a tough go for, for Bruce and, um, you know, ultimately, Donnie, the way I view it is, you know, he's got he's had essentially half a season here to, to implement some more structure. And I don't know how much you put on the players or on the coach, but, you know, clearly they, you know, they have the second worst defensive record in the league yeah. right now. They're worse than they were last year at defending yeah. the goal. Yeah. And then there's the, the PK issue as well. Although, like, as you mentioned, uh, Dan, there was no... Uh power play goals yesterday for, for Winnipeg. That was a one-off, really. Yeah. You know, you know what um, interview I keep coming back to, and it happened recently, but Ethan Bear's interview, where he, it, it, after a loss, 
I believe it was the game where he had the really bad giveaway. Uh, and, and, and he talked, and, and good on him, he talked uh, when a lot of guys wouldn't. But he said that the difference between Carolina and Edmonton in terms of structure, and he, and he didn't have a good go in Carolina. I'm sure he's got some bitter feelings there. There was a COVID issue, and I'm not sure how well he was treated there. But he did have respect for the way they did things on a day-to-day basis, the way the team was prepared, how they did the little things. And he talked about how there was yeah. a big difference between Edmonton and Vancouver. Now, for me, Edmonton and Carolina. He didn't mention, mention Vancouver, but I think you could read between the lines there. I think he just respectfully, out of respect to Bruce Boudreau, didn't say Vancouver, but he said the difference, I'm paraphrasing, the difference was stark. I keep coming back to that. So, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, let's not forget they lost, you know, Brad Shaw, assistant coaches from, from last year. Has that, has that played into this at all? Scotty Walker's not there anymore. I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just wondering if the mix isn't right. And, you know, that criticism from up top, and it just, just seems to be a big mess. But I keep going back to that clip and thinking to myself, mm-hmm. man, you know, uh, you know, maybe Jim Rutherford isn't the only one who sees this thing. No, and and I do think that too, Donnie. And I think what's becoming what what's interesting is I think they all see it. It all comes down to are they going to make the moves that show they have the, the plan that they're saying they have, right? They are going to move money out because isn't the skepticism really still rooted in whether this team has a desire to make those tough decisions? Yeah, uh, yeah it, because so far, you know, the the tough decisions. I don't know how tough they've been in terms of the moves they've actually made. Uh, like, you know, signing JT Mill, I guess that was tough, but he's a 99-point player. And we see that now that oh, I'm not, we're not so sure if that was, a, that was a good move. A lot of people are pretty positive it wasn't a good move. Um, and, and then re-signing Besser, the, the more difficult move would be to focus on, a, on restructuring the team, building the rebuilding the team, whatever the case may be, and making tough decisions. So, I'm I'm still waiting for that, and I haven't seen it so far. You know, uh, Jim Rutherford is trending on Twitter again uh, because of a uh, <laughs> an, an, an interview he did uh, oh. with uh, with some Pittsburgh media as the Canucks will play uh, Pittsburgh tomorrow. And uh, if you haven't seen it, Donnie, the big quote is, uh, "I knew it was going to be a cha- on on you know uh, fixing the Canucks' problems." Uh, mm. he, he says, "I knew it was going to be a challenge." It's probably been a little bigger challenge than I expected in trying to unravel the cap situation here. The sooner we can do that, the sooner we can move forward and yeah. improve the team. And, Ooh. you know, what What people are uh, essentially taking away from that is, well, would you go and sign JT Miller to that big, huge honking contract then if uh, if you knew the cap yeah. problems were, were going to be t- hard to unravel? Uh, that's uh, You know what, guys? Uh, I've been out taking down Christmas late, so I didn't see that. That's why I'm out of breath. Was it dangerous at all? Do you have to get on a ladder? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ladder, and then there's a gutter situation. Oh, and God. my wife put too many staples in the Christmas lights. And it was just, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole Chevy Chase element to this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just, you keep coming back to whenever you, uh, you hear somebody say, well, you know, it's not like uh, Benning and, and uh, Wise, but, well, that JT Miller contract or the Besser deal kind of pointed towards that. And so I, I could see why people would jump all over him for that. I, 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 I don't blame him. We just haven't seen a real focus yet. Nobody's really, really sure if he somehow turns around 
and gets assets from for Miller and it trades and hallelujah for the for Canucks fans that's fantastic but so far not not so much yeah the, 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 it, it's pretty clear though the the honeymoon period for for Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine is already over like it's it's yeah. been just over a year and people want to see some action and you know this market it, it continues to seem to want uh, the the big R rebuild and mm-hmm. that's clearly not the direction they're going in so it's yeah. it's going to take some pretty big moves that are quite obviously wins for this team to win over some people onto whatever plan it is they have to turn this around in the next couple of years yeah so i guess the only thing you can do is change the mix and that make, means uh, making big big hockey moves which are tough to do these days with the with with the cap situation if you, you know could you imagine if, if they decided, and it looks like they're going that way, so we'll put that to the side uh, for a second. What if they didn't trade Miller and there was the possibility, probably didn't re-sign Miller, and there was the possibility of trading him and Horvat and getting you know all sorts of assets back? And maybe I'm just, you know, uh, maybe I, my opinion, my uh, the statements are colored by what I saw in the Western Hockey League over the weekend, which was just ridiculous with all these teams giving up multiple first-round draft picks for uh, big-name players. So maybe that's that, but there's that. But but just the thought of having Miller and, and Besser and Horvat as trade chips to get prospects and picks and rebuild this thing and maybe win a Stanley Cup in the near future, I think that would be people would be way more excited about that. I can't I find it hard to believe they, they didn't see that. Well, you know, it's it is really interesting because Rutherford, as uh, Dan was mentioning in the quote, kind of talked about how much harder it is than they thought to move that cap space mm-hmm. out. So maybe with knowing different things, would you have a different idea, say, six or seven months ago? But one thing, too, that, that they've been taking a lot of flack for was the season ticket event they had over the weekend, the Canucks, and yes, Stan Smeal yes. was there speaking. And like I understand, things happen sometimes, right? Like and managers are busy and sometimes you can't make it there. But when you provide I mean, when you advertise that it's going to be involving somebody and they're not there I can understand fan frustration but what do you make of holding those summits to begin with well, I, i've been at a few through the years and i always find them quite fascinating and as somebody who's in the business and more so when i was reporting it was great for us yeah. there's something I, something always came came out of it mm-hmm. uh, mark crawford did a great job uh, he, he wasn't a gm but he did a great job uh, with people in those uh, types of situations where he had an open practice, he explained everything they were doing. It was always really, really good. And then talked about the direction of the team afterwards. And of course, he's just a really, really good speaker, but it, it just, it, it smacked of this, that there was something to hide, that they were hiding, that they were afraid to, to face the public. And that's, you know, Bur- I, Brian Burke, you know, speaking of Pittsburgh would never do that. He'd come right out and tell people to F off or whatever the case may be, but he'd be honest about it and, 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 and would say, trust me, but he would not back down and uh, to put Stan out there. And I know Stan's vice president of hockey operations, but it just seems whatever there's a crisis, you know, when Lyndon was with the team, it was either him or, or through the years it's been Stan and to put him out there in that situation is, is really tough because he stands, you know, the legend, Nobody's going to go go after him. They know that he's not the guy pulling all the strings. So it just it just wasn't a good feel again from this organization. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's any way around it. it, it it's a tough look to not have yeah. uh, Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin there. Yeah. Um, on Bo Horvat, Donnie, um, it, it looks as though it's it's heading in a certain direction, and, and that being towards a 
trade. Yeah. He's having the best year of his career right now, up to 29 goals already. Um, do you think it's a it's a bad look that this franchise is trading its captain, uh, potentially trading its captain that's you know on the brink of, of or is having this career year and has been such a good soldier for this team? Well, it is in combination with the JT Miller contract. And, and I, I think a lot of it, a lot of what we're talking about here, and this colors a lot of people's opinions in every situation in sports, especially these days when things are covered so well. Uh, a, a lot of this is colored by visuals, what we see. And we see JT Miller not back checking at times. I mean, I, I, don't, I know you could sit, people can say, well, that was one time. It's not just one time, it's happened a few times. And even if it happens once, that's not good enough. Look at Leas Pedersen. He works his ass off uh, back checking. Bo Horvat seems like it seems like he definitely is more of a team player, more of a guy you want to keep, more of a guy that's good with his teammates. It just seems that way. It might not be true, but I know I know what we see. I know I see 29 goals too. I know I see him outperforming JT Miller at this time. I see great body language from Bo Horvat versus JT Miller smacking a stick on the back of the net and all and all that. So in, in combination. With uh, the, what we see from JT Miller now, yeah, it's it's a it's a bad look. That it looks like they're about to unload uh, uh, unload their captain. Didn't work out with Trevor Linden, and although he wasn't a captain when they unloaded him, uh, Messier was. But we all know how that worked out. So it was a real dark era, and it's a real dark era right now. It's not a good look. Uh, Donnie, we appreciate the time and the insights as always. Thank you. Anytime, guys. Lots of fun. All right, there is uh, Don Taylor. Uh, joining us here on uh, on Canuck Central. Yeah, uh, some good thoughts from Donnie, as always. I'm just glad he was able to get the Christmas lights down safely. Yeah. And he's good to go. It's always a, it's always a big thing. Yeah. I, I, on the Bo thing, um, it's optics, right? Yeah. You know, like Bo's doing all these great things this year, and, you know, he's... He's been such a big part of the community, right? He's an easy guy to like, and he says a lot of the right things in front of the camera. He's been a good player, mm-hmm. been through a lot of lean years, there's always been a thought that, you know, the best version of Bo Horvat we haven't necessarily seen because the Canucks haven't fielded the right team around him, you know, and, and now it, you know, you're staring down the, the barrel of it being the end. And people feel that uh, it shouldn't be that way, especially when we are now finally seeing the best version of Bo Horvat. The best version that we've seen of him so far. And, you know, if you missed our discussion with Frank Valley, really interesting yep. as well, about how he views Bo and uh, what's going on, the, the latest on the trade market and how difficult it would be for the Canucks to sign him, even if they wanted to, with the level of interest that could be out there in free agency if he gets there. Uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are on at uh, 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon in the lead-up to the Canucks and Penguins gamer Fon Gafar will be our guest. We'll talk to you then. For producers Elon and Ben, my co-host Satyar Shah, I'm Dan Richo. You've been listening to Canuck Central.